0: Welcome back to saved by old times this is a musical discussion podcast where we are taking an unauthorized and very unofficial look into the discography of the band deer hunter on today's episode we'll be looking at the group's third album microcastle where we see the band experiment with pop hooks and accessibility while creating what i personally believe is a sneaky under the radar concept album my name is trent bristow and helping me tear down the walls of this microcastle my co-host and friend since we were little kids, Mr. David
1: Vance. Dave, how you doing? I can't believe it. We made it to the weird era. (laughs) We are in the weird era. Which Which is strange because, like, was the last era in any way not as weird or if not weirder?
0: No it was it was absolutely weirder I think than the era we are in now but I like that it's weird era continued. there's never really a weird era that like there's never a yeah. demarcation line of the weird era starts. it's just you're already <laughs> in the weird era and now we're acknowledging it
1: maybe we were always in the weird era exactly but this one this one definitely does feel like we have entered a new era of deer hunter so agreed. I like the fact that it's that it's there it's on the album but yeah uh, I'm doing good. I, I'm ready to. I'm ready to get into some microcastle.
0: Speaking of new eras in the band, um, we start with what's up with Deerhunter at this point, point. Uh, and we have our first lineup change um, since uh, Cryptograms. Yeah. So, uh, Colin Me uh, exits the band. So what happens is uh, Cryptograms and Fluorescent Gray uh, both come out in January two thousand seven. Uh, mm-hmm. And the band heads out on a world tour that's going to take them through the rest of the year up to November-ish. Yeah. And by August, uh, Colin <laughs> quits the band.
1: Like he quits He quits halfway through the tour? He quits
0: halfway through the tour, correct. Dang. So what happens is uh, he actually uh, did an interview with Pitchfork to talk about his perspective on what happened. So mm-hmm. according to him, as he says... What happened was that initially I told them that I couldn't play a couple of shows that we had booked next weekend in Portland and Seattle because it was too much of a strain on my schedule. It wasn't necessarily my intention to quit. So essentially there was a a weekend period of shows that he said, you know what, my personal life, I just can't do these shows. But they are mid-tour. They still have months left. They've been going on for months. Uh, So to the group, that's kind of like a line in the sand where they basically say, if you're not going to do these shows, then you're not in the band anymore. Um, so that's kind of how that ends. But he also mentioned some stuff that I think is interesting uh, to give you a little bit more information on kind of what the life was like inside the band at this time.
1: Um, yeah, like I, I remember you saying earlier that he, he sort of, he was more about just playing the music and writing the music and that kind of stuff instead exactly. of being an outward personality.
0: Yeah, so he he has a, a like a big interview with Pitchfork and I'm just going to like take some of the highlights from it. But essentially, he mentions like three main things that were say he says made him feel exhausted at the time. So, he mentions that they had been constantly touring for almost two full years. So the Mm. year leading up to Cryptograms coming out, and then Cryptograms comes out, and then they go back to touring again for a full year. And he says during that time, the set list hardly changed. So he was essentially playing the same music over and over again for about two years. Uh, And he also mentions that uh, the increased media attention on the group uh, was starting to get to him and mm. in particular he talks about he makes reference to a post that was on the deer hunter blog where uh bradford reviewed the poops of the <laughs> members of the band <laughs> it, Like he doesn't like he doesn't show like photos or anything but he does like talk about like the other members like poop habits on uh, at the very end of the interview, he says, "I don't want to be overexposed. I don't want the world to know what our excrement looks like, or what we are selling on eBay, or whether mm-hmm. we got robbed. I think it devalues the music. So I think that's that's a fair stance to yeah. take." Uh, and he, you know, makes mention of several different things that were, you know, very public about the band, like them being robbed on tour, which is now actually a very common thing to talk about. A lot of bands will start like. Um, kickstarters and stuff when they get robbed on tour being like hey we're in x city our van got broken into we have no equipment like
1: please help us out yeah that that usually really sucks (laughs)
0: yeah but i guess that that yeah he was saying those things made him feel like all the little details of his life while he was on tour were being Mm -hmm. shared with everyone and it was you know it was an amount of attention he wasn't really comfortable with yeah so what's interesting then is he leaves the band Uh, and then without even missing a beat, they just continue on with the tour. So they, they play the very next date, they play the whole rest of the tour as a four piece, um, which is, I think pretty impressive. That's a really good pivot. I like, I know you had three guitarists to work with and paring down from three to two isn't nearly as bad as paring down from, you know, two to one. Yeah. But still, that's pretty cool that you could, you know, rework your material enough to survive with out one member without, you know, delaying your tour at all.
1: It also did seem like a lot of uh, Colin's parts were more standard, just rhythm guitar parts, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm guessing that Bradford basically filled that role, and then Lockett filled the more uh, lead guitarist role.
0: Yeah, that's right, and especially around that time, uh, Bradford wasn't really playing guitar live. He was still, you know, hanging out by the microphone and doing his cool thing with the uh, star tambourine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The star tambourine was was a was a pretty big. Uh, pretty big showpiece there so uh he had to you know put that down and pick up a guitar kind of thing to fill in but um what it's especially funny because the uh, pitchfork article talks about uh a review from a concert goer who was there like you know the night of the very first show as a as a four piece of this era and they said they didn't notice anything different they were like a (laughs) big super fan and they were like yeah no it sounded the same as it always sounds which is Interesting and also like a little bit, bit of a slight. You don't really need. Yeah, it's a little, it's
1: a little harsh to Colin. And I think, I think I said, I might have said this in a in an earlier episode, but like the way that Colin might have, uh, sort of faded into the background a bit, um, Mm -hmm. makes him the most unique member of Deer Hunter.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think that's a great way to close the chapter on on Colin. Is yes. He, he was absolutely, you know, a unique person <laughs> in this whole group and in the, in the dynamic for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so Colin leaves. They continue on with the rest of the tour for uh, 2007. They finally stop in November. Um, and then they uh, finally are able to go back to the studio. And in April 2008, they make their triumphant return to the Rare Book Room in New York. Yeah. Uh and they actually get to record with Nicholas Vernhees as the producer and engineer and they get a full week to record in studio, which is the longest amount of time they've had so far.
1: Yeah. And and those those sessions did seem pretty intense from from what I saw, so.
0: Yeah. Um and so I imagine they did very well on their tour because before when they were recording Cryptograms they said you know we wouldn't have been able to go into the studio mm-hmm. unless we were getting a really sweet deal on it yeah. this time they're spending more time there um and they're actually getting the guy who runs it and is the engineer producer so mm-hmm. i'm imagining they did quite well on their world tour and also i think Cryptograms was a bigger success than they originally thought
1: yeah and as like um and they say it on the the video that you showed me like they they say that cryptograms is basically their first album they call cryptograms yes. Fluorescent <laughs> gray uh their first two albums uh so yeah it does it does seem like they were more riding on the success of this as the start of of their whole band experience
0: yes for sure um and the last thing i want to say on the history of this um, which we're only going to touch on briefly and then I'm going to have to put a put a pin in it and we'll come back to it later, Ooh. is you may, if you're ever looking up the history of this album, you might see that there's multiple release dates and you'll be kind of confused. You're like, why is there an August release date and an October release date?
1: Hmm.
0: What happened was <laughs> uh, the album accidentally leaked online by mistake in August of 2008. Uh. So uh, Bradford very often uh, for fan engagement and stuff on the Deer Hunter blog would uh, put out demos, put out little covers, little fun bits that he would record, uh, yeah. and post them for free to people to download. What happened was there was a mistake made when he was sharing oh, one no. of the tracks on there, and somehow if you went to that link, you could then just go into his whole uh, you oh, know drive no. somewhere, and somewhere in the drive was you know a folder that was labeled something like Microcastle Final, whatever. <laughs> and you could just go in there and be like, click and download the entire album for free. <laughs>
1: hey cranky so we released the album hey good news yeah so good news people love it bad news
0: uh you're not getting any money for it um so yeah what happened was then they had to pivot really quickly uh and just make it available on itunes uh Mm -hmm. on the same day they're like okay you know what just get it up there people can at least pay for it online and then the physical release is still planned for october Oh, okay. So it does come out uh, on actual physical media in October later that year. Uh, and that's where we will put a pin in history for now. Cool. Uh, but keep that in mind that there's two different release dates. Mm-hmm. Um, so the album itself. Let's talk about the music of uh, Micro Castle.
1: Big um, step.
0: Big step. Yeah. So like I talked about off the top, they they want to be... Uh, experimenting Bradford says but I think they're they're trying to be a bit more accessible they're trying to use yeah. a lot more like pop conventions
1: right hmm it does uh like I I kind of just want to find a, a time period like a pastiche that I can sort of like put this into I feel like it kind of has similar vibes to like the pre-Beatles uh sort of soft rock Except heavily distorted, heavily changed, and it and it does it does feel like a lot softer. It still has yes. that uh, deer hunter vibe, but yeah, it poppy in like uh, poppy in like an old rock sort of way.
0: Yes, uh, Dave, you're a genius because uh, that's <laughs> that is exactly what uh, the influences are on this album. Um, so Bradford, you know, growing up in, uh, rural Georgia kind of thing, his dad is a huge Johnny Cash fan. Oh my God. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Right. So, uh, and like he grew up on a lot of like late fifties, early sixties, like
1: doo-wop music. Like, yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of like Frankie Valley sort of.
0: Yes, exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where you got like the choral backups and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, like pre Beatles rock and roll. Uh, so you were bang on with the time period of Hell where yeah. I think like the, the <laughs> yeah. again, I don't know how you do this, but you're a genius. Yeah. It's taking that kind of songwriting and then applying the, uh, like <laughs> I, almost like a coat of paint, uh, yeah. of. Like indie like, rock, uh, like shoegaze, like the atmospheric kind of rock stuff. What I imagine, what
1: I imagine is like this parallel universe where like we, we just skipped the Beatles. We just skipped right, right <laughs> past the Beatles. We went straight to grunge. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, and sort of like that sort of era in the sixties and seventies and eighties, uh, where everyone was experimenting with, uh electronics and all that stuff just didn't Mm -hmm. happen (laughs) right (laughs) yeah
0: um and i think kind of in the same way that uh the ramones basically took that same era of music and just made it punk Mm -hmm. these guys are taking that era of music and making it like alternative indie rock shoegazy kind of stuff yeah and i think that's a winning formula man you take just classic songwriting uh you know that works in any context and then you uh, find a way to make that fresh or make it uh, palatable to an audience that wouldn't normally listen to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really good uh, recipe for success.
1: Yeah no it 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 has a lot of the characteristics of like that deer hunter style. It has a lot of uh, effects and they're trying to experiment with sounds but now they have uh, more standardized chord changes, more standardized. Mm-hmm uh melodies more standardized pop music things that you can that you can sort of like point to and listen to and say oh yeah like that is that is a 251 that is a right yeah yeah that is that <laughs> is uh, basic four chord change like the, we're we're getting we're getting to uh more established uh musical ideas with like a heavy filter of deer hunter
0: Yes, for sure. It's like taking those things and they're just like ushering it into like the, the deer hunter, like Pantheon. They're like, Mm -hmm. you know, come, come into our weird kind of (laughs) crazy guitar world. Um, and so the last thing I'll say uh, about this is, uh, that combination does end up doing quite well for them. Um, so Microcastle, in terms of sales numbers, I only have one comment that Bradford made in an interview. But in retrospect, he said that Microcastle ended up selling over 50,000 copies just in the U.S. Dang. Which is pretty good for an indie band. For an indie band, yeah. <laughs> um, and it ends up peaking at 123 on the Billboard 200. So they actually do enter the Billboard charts with this album. Dang. Yeah. That's So that's not, pretty not good. bad. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the album as a whole, what were your first impressions of it?
1: when you pulled it up like the first thing the first thing i bring up uh is the album and you get the album mm-hmm. art this time they actually put the name on the album cover <laughs> which is a huge step
0: <laughs> i didn't realize but you're right that is the first time the they've done the first that. time
1: the first time the name of the album is on the album um uh, mm-hmm. and i think it's i think the name of the album is important too because um I think it is part of a little meta narrative that I'll uh, I'll explain in a bit. Um, Excellent. I have similar thoughts. So it says Microcastle. It's, yes. Uh, the lettering's huge. It's indented three times. The word <laughs> Microcastle is so big that they have to indent it three times to fit on that square. Uh, yes. th- that square album cover. Mm-hmm. Um, each letter, I believe. Some of them look a little bit similar, but uh, each letter, I believe, is a different font.
0: I think Uh, so, yeah.
1: Which is a neat little collage, and it's this is a white lettering, huge white lettering, all different fonts over top of a, I think, like a a city apartment uh, backdrop. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a city apartment. So, Microcastle, uh, the name to me, and this could be a stretch but i think that that name microcastle and the fact that it is a collage of fonts can be like a little meta commentary on this album or like albums in general where it's just like a small little fortress of ideas Ooh, okay so interesting not the same idea i had but continue yeah like um yeah, it's the buildings in the background could be like where they wrote their music, and like each little song is like a, a small little vignette. So each mm-hmm. of them is like a different uh, font. Each of them is a different texture that makes this entire album. So right. that that to me is like at least just what I'm getting from the album. It's a small little fortress of ideas.
0: Yes um i really like that interpretation and i hadn't thought of that and while you were doing it i was trying to count the the letters the number of letters in the title microcastle mm. and see if it lined up with the number of tracks and it's one off to my account dang it <laughs> but that would have been that would have been so perfect uh but i do think there, there's value in what you're saying and i do think um there is absolutely the concept of you know a small fortress going on mm-hmm. um which I will then use to piggyback and share, you know, the first parts of my conspiracy theory on what I think this <laughs> album is about. <laughs> if there's, you know, uh, somewhere in inside my head, there's a detective with a cork board and photos and string, and they're yep. putting it all together. Because, mm-hmm. I, as I said off the top, I firmly believe with no evidence from the band that this is a concept album, and they just don't ever mention that it is. Okay. So... Um, in 2010, which is two years after this album came out, mm-hmm. um, Bradford put a post up on the Deer Hunter blog and the title of the post is the decaying Castles of Detroit. And Interesting. he's posting a link to, um, someone had gone through, uh, Detroit in the nineties and done a photo essay on mm-hmm. all of the homes that were built during the automotive boom when Detroit was at its peak but oh, then were later abandoned when the industry crashed. Uh, so there's all these, you know, fairly uh, well-constructed, you know, normal-looking suburban homes that have just been yeah. left there, and they've kind of fallen into disrepair.
1: Yeah. And, tro- and, and Detroit also being, like, a huge music city as well.
0: Yes, for sure. Motown. Yeah. Um, so I think there is either a, <laughs> uh, a link where... Um, someone listened to this, like, I'm not sure whether or not this is a chicken and egg scenario where someone listened to microcastle and used that term in their photo essay, or Mm. if that existed beforehand. I don't know the timeline on that. I do know that when, uh, Bradford was in late high school, um, around the time that he was finished with a lot of his, um, very intensive surgeries and stuff, like we talked about on cryptograms, uh, his parents ended up, uh, divorcing. Oh, and damn. and also he dropped out of school around that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it was a pretty tumultuous time for him. And he says that he ended up spending a lot of time uh, just at home alone and just kind of looking out at the world uh, yeah. and isolating himself. Yeah. And so to me, <laughs> if I take the... Uh, The Decaying Microcastles of Detroit Mm -hmm. uh, photo essay, and I take some of the life experiences that he's talked about, I see Microcastle as essentially, you know, not only the physical structure of uh, a place that you're holding yourself up in, but also you putting a distance between yourself and other people and society um, and kind of, like, insulating yourself uh, to avoid kind of getting hurt or avoid overexposing
1: yourself. This is the similar to the thesis that we had, right. Where, um, making music, making art, making albums is sort of like building a house or building a fortress. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: And the idea of making or arranging music, like you, you make a foundation, uh, Mm -hmm. you lay a bass track, you lay a drum track, that kind of thing. You build it piece by piece. Yeah. So, um, I like the album title. I like the idea of the album as being a meta commentary, and I think I think you're getting at the exact same thing. That this is that this is essentially a meta commentary of music, but just from Bradford's perspective.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, and I think there's a, you know one song in particular I can point to that uh, kind of ties that idea together. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. On the, on the note of uh, talking about the music, would you like to get
1: into it? Cover me slowly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Trent and Dave, listen to the song. So, cover me slowly as an intro track.
1: Three, what four time. Think? Three, four time. We got, <laughs> we got there. We got there. We finally got there. We are there using three, different three, time, time signatures. <laughs> yes. I've been waiting for it for so long. It's like, yeah. as soon as this band starts using different time signatures, they're just going to open up. To a whole bunch right. of ideas. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, this is a very slow uh, intro song. There's no lyrics, um, but all the band members are present. So uh, Moses is laying down just a regular uh, three, four beat. Um, yeah. There's, uh, uh, yeah, and like it's very simple root notes on the bass and that kind of thing, very splashy yeah. drums. Uh, the guitar and Bradford are uh, u- uh, in unison doing a melody together. Um, and yeah, it's just a very nice four major seven to one major seven. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a really good plagal cadence that just, uh, it's, it's just very easy to listen to.
0: Mm-hmm. While we're talking about the major seven chords... Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to bring up, there's a really cool sneaky guitar trick that's going on on this song and on Agoraphobia as well, Mm -hmm. because I mean, in my opinion, they're they're basically the same song. Um, It's the the exact same chord progression, and they lead into each other, and when they play them live, they always play them back to back. They never play one without the other. Mm -hmm. So um, There's a really cool guitar
1: tuning that Lockett
0: is using on this, because the music for these songs is credited to Lockett.
1: It does seem like it's being detuned. Like I, I I had that yes. written down there does seem to be something going on with this uh, yeah there it's either it's either lower or higher maybe both I don't know if there's like a if it's modulating
0: yeah so there is a modulation going on and then there's also a guitar tuning that makes the chords sound the way they do nice so it's multiple things happening at once nice so what he does to create that major seven chord is he makes a regular um, major bar chord shape. Mm -hmm. on uh on the guitar but the high e string the very the very smallest string yep he takes that and just detunes it half a step and when you do that it moves from the root note down to the seventh yeah and then that turns it into a major seventh yeah and And it's the highest note too
1: so it's just it's just uh it's just putting that that chord quality uh when you have Mm -hmm. either the highest note or the lowest note that's what makes the chord quality like really sing so yeah
0: yes And normally to get that high seven is a kind of a pain to do when you're just making a chord shape. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some tricky ways to do it, but if you're just kind of picking up the guitar and just, you know, Closing your fist and making a chord—it's kind of hard to incorporate that major seven. Yeah. But this tuning allows you to do it super easily, which is awesome.
1: That's really um, cool.
0: And originally, I thought this was a deer hunter invention. I was trying—I was like, I don't know anyone else who's <laughs> ever done this tuning. And I'm like, is this—is this the deer hunter tuning? Like, did I did I discover something? And I did some research online. Uh, there is one other song I found, uh, like in popular music that people would know that uses this same tuning um okay and it is yellow by cold play nice nice <laughs> which, unexpected but i do know the guitarist of Coldplay mm-hmm. uh, is known for using lots of alternate tuning so i'm not surprised that it would show up yeah on their music but yeah so fun fact this shares a tuning with yellow by cold play
1: uh, yeah you get that major seven chord quality which is what um there's there's a lot of like seventh chords and like more more built chords than just like regular triads in this album and Mm -hmm. that's what gives me that sort of vibe of that sort of late 50s rock and roll where everyone was taken from the jazz music everyone was uh everyone was sort of like taking those ideas and just making them popular so yeah you're right mm -hmm.
0: um there is an absolute like staple of the shoegaze genre uh occurring on this
1: track the tremolo so <laughs> let's talk yeah, so, about the tremolo <laughs>
0: well tremolo and i was gonna say um the pitch modulation that you're hearing oh okay um are you talking about the tremolo bar because the people call it the tremolo bar even though it's more vibrato than it's tremolo but oh. guitarists are dumb and they named it oh wrong back in the day. I,
1: we're gonna talk about that yeah
0: <laughs> okay yeah so yeah basically what what he's doing and you know the, the number one band to look, to look to for this technique is a band called My Bloody Valentine, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the most popular shoegaze band out there. Um, but basically what you do is while you're strumming with your right hand, you also grab the tremolo bar. Uh, and every time you strum down, you also push the tremolo bar nice. in a little bit. So your pitch is diving a little bit every single time you play the note. So that's where you get that, that kind of like out of tune kind yeah. of sound, but it's still in time. Yeah, that's cool. Uh that's that's what's going on during those really big uh chord buildups. Yeah is they're pushing that in.
1: So like yeah, yeah, every time he hits it, he hits it and it and it dips down at the same time and then he brings exactly. It back Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, sorry, my fun bit of guitar trivia is also uh this is how you know guitarists are bad at music. Is they named that uh the device that does that a tremolo bar. Yep. And tremolo modulates volume, <laughs> vibrato modulates pitch. But guitarists are dumb, and we got it wrong, and it's been called the tremolo bar ever since. So, uh, so fun fact. <laughs>
1: we can talk about uh, legit tremolo that's going on yes. with uh, with Bradford.
0: Yes. So it is all over his voice. Yeah. In the background there. Is
1: this uh, is this Bradford's new trick?
0: So that is absolutely the new trick that is going on on this album. Thank you for setting me up for that is they're like, you know, what's really cool tremolo. We're going to put that on everything. It's
1: so it's pretty, it's pretty heavy. Um, it's not, it's not completely damp, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. It's not completely, (laughs) uh, yeah, you can hear some of Bradford's original voice going through. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's not, it's not completely wet. Um, with the tremolo effect, but, um, yeah, it's, it's very noticeable. It's very, uh, interesting. And yeah, like you were saying, um, tremolo, uh, modulates amplitude. Yes. Um, whereas Uh, vibrato modulates pitch. There are actually two different types of tremolo, uh, tremolo, uh, with this, Uh, effect is the amplitude modulation but a lot of uh orchestra players like string players they can't necessarily modulate amplitude like that uh, Mm -hmm. or it's very difficult so another uh, tremolo style is like um repetitive iterative note playing so very quick note playing um from violinists bowing the string very quickly or Mm -hmm. more famously um eddie van halen's eruption solo when he does that single note a million times in a row that is tremolo
0: yeah and in guitar we call that tremolo picking
1: nice
0: uh yeah so yeah we are aware of that we're not nearly as good at it but we're aware of um speaking of uh additional outside of you know regular uh band instruments like violins and stuff um, that was a bit of a
1: shoehorn, but go with me. On yeah. this. Hey, hey, um, hey if there's nothing that I'm prepared to do. It's stretch. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, exactly. I hope you got, I hope you're limber today because that was that was a big stretch. Um, there's actually an additional musician on this track. Okay. Um, so Nicholas Vernhees is playing a synthesizer. Nice. Uh, that you can hear that's mimicking uh, what Bradford's doing, and you can kind of hear. I think so, he's tweaking knobs and stuff as he's doing it because the sound itself is kind of evolving as the song goes on. So
1: I thought that was a sustained guitar i thought that was mm-hmm. just like a really high sustained guitar but it's it's a synth that's cool yeah yeah it's a little in synth that's um, pretty cool and if you and if you're saying that if you're saying that um there's a there's a, a fifth member then i'm gonna give that person a lot of credit because there's a lot of <laughs> neat touches like really subtle yeah. neat touches on other songs in this album that i will get to
0: yes Um, But yeah, in particular, I wanted to shout out that little synth part because I think it adds uh, a really cool dynamic because, you know, Bradford's vocals with the heavy tremolo and then the synth that's kind of evolving as the song goes on with the the knob tweaks. Mm -hmm. That really adds, you know, a kind of a through line for this song that is really just everyone else kind of outlining the chords of what the next song is going to be. And that really kind of keeps the energy kind of changing as it
1: goes. And the next song is going to be... Basically, the same song.
0: <laughs> so. It is. It's basically the same song. I look at it kind of like uh, in a musical. They start out with like an opening song, and then later they use that same like motif or melody later on. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of what they're doing here, except it's just the very next song.
1: Yeah. Yep. You wanna <laughs> uh, you wanna get to it? Let's hop on over to agoraphobia. Agoraphobia.
0: Trent and Dave, listen to the song. All right. So speaking of new eras of the band,
1: yeah, this is uh, this is so tasteful. Uh,
0: we have a locket alert, everyone. Locket alert, Lock it alert. Lock it alert, Everyone, please <laughs> remain calm. But we have a different vocalist on this song.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yes, that's neat. So for the very first time, uh, this is locket actually singing lead vocals on a song. Nice. Um, however, the, uh, so the music and the vocals themselves are by Lockett. Mm -hmm. The lyrics are written by Bradford.
1: Um, honestly, uh, just because the last time we were talking about Bradford's vocals, I was, uh, put in this set that like Bradford has like a, a deceptively good range in tone. Mm hmm. Um, He does. So I was I was not even aware that this was a different vocalist. I just assumed that Bradford had that ability to change his tone because he's shown that ability to change his tone like really well. Uh, right. So I, I kind of just assumed that it was Bradford back on the mic.
0: Um, No, he had a hand in, in the lyrics, obviously, but this is actually uh, Lockett singing it. Nice. So I don't know exactly how that exchange went down uh, because it was basically, you know, the first two songs on this album were a Lockett demo that he brought into the group. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he had the melody or if Bradford, you know, put forward the melody, but somehow he got talked into uh, doing the vocals for this song. Um, cool. And I think he... He's a cool vocalist, in my opinion. He's not a very, like, what you would picture, again, kind of like Bradford, not what you'd picture for a traditional vocalist. Yeah. But I think his approach, the way that he, um, he sings, he's very, he sounds very close to the mic and he sounds, um, almost like, it sounds very intimate and clean and intimate. Like he said, because he's, uh, so close to you, it feels very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's really good in a, you know, a genre that... Uh, values authenticity like he sounds very authentic to me um
1: so i like that i have another wikipedia definition oh hit me what do you got so agoraphobia Mm -hmm. uh, is an anxiety disorder characterized by symptoms of anxiety in situations where the person perceives their environment to be unsafe with no Mm -hmm. easy way to escape these situations can include open spaces, public transit, shopping centers, or simply just being outside. It is similar to claustrophobia, but, uh, sort of in a different, uh, sense of fear. Right. Um, With, uh, with claustrophobia, it's very tight, confined spaces with agoraphobia. It's more like, um, being able to see the entire landscape and knowing that you can't escape from it. Sort of like being in the middle of an ocean and gotcha. not being able to see any landmass. When I say that like uh Deer Hunter's very, like, very good at being unsettling, uh, everything's kind <laughs> yeah. of everything's kind of transitioned. There's a lot of uh that uneasiness that has sort of left the music and instead just been mm. really pumped into the lyrics. Uh yes this for sure this song uh has uh some incredibly descriptive lyrics uh, yes (laughs) and uh very very comfortable and nice sounding music uh right the same chord changes as the previous song like we mentioned but this time we're in four four um Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more upbeat it's a little bit mid-tempo um the drums are a little bit less splashy um
0: yeah, they're very crisp, They're very I to yeah, say I, very,
1: especially the snare is mm, mm-hmm. it's really well done. Um clean guitars, picking guitar, uh, mm-hmm. which I really Arpeggios like for I days. I really on this. like um the picking style, and I'll get get into that. Um, but yeah, like this this song just immediately screamed to me, okay, like this is a clean, uh sort of like soft rock band. This is this is what gave me that idea. Yeah,
0: um, exactly.
1: Yeah, I I love the guitars in this. I think mm-hmm. I think the guitars are uh really good and really good at sort of giving a counter melody or like a a, a counter rhythm. So like yeah, like you were saying they're picking chord tones. Um mm-hmm. and like it's a simple rhythm guitar in the right for the main section and then um the picking guitar on the left side and they're actually like opposed in, yes. yeah, in yeah, yeah. the ears um and then when the b section comes along um there's a really cool counter melody that comes in the guitar that like goes uh or like a six major a major six chord that like it descends from the sixth to the fifth to the, yeah. to the third and it, and it's just really nice and then the other guitar is picking a counter melody to that. Yes, they both start upwards. doing arpeggios together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really cool. It's really tasteful. I, I like <laughs> this song a lot.
0: Yeah, so yeah, this song is uh, obviously one of my favorite Deer Hunter songs. I don't even need to pretend. And uh, to me, this is like the uh like hallmark anthem of introverts everywhere Uh, like (laughs) for me me and my for me and my people like this is our banner that we wave (laughs) as we march home alone uh (laughs) uh because uh i
1: think twice a day bury me slowly
0: (laughs) exactly um and uh yeah i think it's really cool um bradford talks about uh, i've shown you the interview that they did in the studio um But I want, yeah, so I didn't want to spend too long on that. But basically, um, yeah, Bradford talks about this news story of a uh, person in Germany who actually sought out um, Mm -hmm. the experience of being buried alive and found it enjoyable and would, like, hire someone to bury him to the point where he would almost die and then bring him back every time. Yeah. Uh, And, like, so that, you know, that's an abnormal thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think he uses that And some of like the very obvious descriptions when we talk about, you know, (laughs) cover me and stuff like that, uh, he uses those words literally to then take it into a more like universal experience of being introverted and wanting to be left alone. Yeah. Uh but then all kind of twists it to the point of where it's very obviously detrimental to the person. <laughs> uh, yeah. and but they're willing to go down that road for the sake of continuing to feel that safety and I think the music is the the safety is that, that feeling that they have. The music does such a
1: good job. Like Yeah. my like this is great to me. Mm-hmm. Like I actually yeah. love how well the the music um Takes these really dark lyrics and turns them into something comfortable. Like this is, yeah, this is sort of like, yeah, it, it, it's a very comfortable sounding song. It's very comfortable sounding uh, melody. Um, the melody is is following those core tones. There's nothing out of out of place or out of tune. Uh, so like that weird uneasiness. Is only from the lyrics, and the the music makes the lyrics seem normal. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, which, yeah. Which
1: which is where that uneasiness is, because it's not necessarily normal.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think well, yeah. What I was trying to say is, I think what's so cool is Bradford is taking these like really out there uh, influences and like experiences, and he takes stuff from literature and stuff too. He takes these really like, strange, you know, outside of the mainstream stories, and then finds ways, especially starting here in in Microcastle, to -hmm. turn them into things that, if you just kind of looked at it quickly, you would interpret as something completely different. Right. Uh, where you'd, you'd, you know, imply, you know, whatever your own kind of life experiences, whatever to these things. And you can just be like, oh yeah, this is a song about just like, you know, wanting to be left alone in your room kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, you could be, it could be. Um, <laughs> that's, it could be and that's a totally valid way to look at it. But I think he's using, uh, you know, interesting things to inform that.
1: Yeah. So like there's, there's double narratives going on here. Um, mm-hmm. And really interesting uh, ideas coming from the guitars and, so there is there is something that I love about this song mm-hmm. um, that I didn't recognize the first time I listened to it. I had to listen to it a couple more times before I stopped thinking that those soft synthesizer tones in the background were placebo. <laughs> I honestly thought there's a synthesizer in the background. It's very soft. It's very mm-hmm. light. It's It's playing the chord tones in the background. And I thought that it was in my head for the first time right. I listened to it. <laughs> I thought that I, I was just like imagining this. Mm-hmm. And then the second time is like, Oh no, that's an instrument. Someone's yeah. playing that. So I'm guessing that this is the producer, right?
0: Um, yeah. So this is, this is uh, Nick
1: Vernhees then. Yes. I, I kind of just like love how quiet and soft it is in the background. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's really unassuming and it plays the chord tone. So it, it it roots everything. Mm-hmm. It roots all of the instruments and uh, it sits above everything but way off in the back. Um, and I think it's a really nice touch.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. And I think the synth is integrated in such a um, really subtle way on a lot of these songs. Just uh, a good
1: tone. Yeah. Just it's, a really just good a, tone. Just a good tone, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey,
0: Nicholas Vernies, good tone, bro.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's sweet. Um, yeah, I, I think this song pulls together really well and yeah. in a really nice way. I, I like this one a lot.
0: Yeah yeah this is this is a high water mark for me in terms of Deer Hunter's music up until this point. Um, before we uh, you know end up you know just continuing on and on and on about praise for this song, um, perhaps we should never stop.
1: <laughs> never stop the praise <laughs> Never
0: stop the phrase, and that was again the, the shoehorn. That was pretty. Bad. Oh, never
1: stop, Trent. Never yeah, stop. <laughs> thank you. I don't want you to stop. I don't think we should ever stop. We Let's should go never to stop. the next
0: song. <laughs> Trent and Dave, listen to the song.
1: All right.
0: So coming off the most ramshackle transition of all time, we are back with "Never Stops."
1: Never stop. Never stop, Trent.
0: <laughs> Never Stop Stopping.
1: Um, what do we think of Never Stops? Um, so it leads in by saying, by Bradford saying, I've had dreams that have mm-hmm. frightened me awake. Yes. And the band is bringing just another positive jam. Yeah. Just another, <laughs> just another light uh, mid-tempo, mid positive-sounding mm-hmm. jam. Yeah. Like, I think that the band is really settling into this style of music, this, like, tone this this Mm. song quality i guess yeah where where it's just like tight drums like tight picking guitars again um really easy melody and then the lyrics are once again like very interesting very involved yeah um so the band is really settling into this style of music and yeah so it's it's a four four mid tempo jam uh, this one is in G major and it uh, sort of starts in G major and goes down to the the six minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the foundation for eight bars. Like it'll be very light for eight bars and then it'll be really heavy for eight bars. Yup. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. And the band will will lay in and there will be more effects that go into it. There's a really interesting, like, it. Uh, they do that twice. So the lyrics go um, on that form uh, twice over. Yeah. And then there's a really interesting instrumental bridge mm-hmm. um, where, like, uh, this one is a four-bar phrase and then a two-bar phrase. So yeah. it's it's a six-bar phrase um, that, uh, yeah, it's it's a one-major to a four-major to a one-major to a four-major and then to a six-minor. And then the two major, which is out of the key, and then it leads back to the one. Yeah, um, it's it's a really nice color, and it throws you off a bit. I yeah, like
0: yeah, and that section as well um, has. Uh, you know shout out to whoever was doing the just intense feedback in guitar over all mm-hmm. of that. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's that's just one note just sustaining super hard and you can tell how loud that must have been recorded wailing. because there are just yeah it's w-
1: wailing. You
0: could hear parts where the note gets taken over by the feedback and they just mm-hmm. left that in they're like no I just wanted it to howl in the
1: background. <laughs> and, and I love that. And once again like it's not it's not overbearing it's not present. It's yeah. off in the back. So mm-hmm. like Right. It's, it's this really high wailing guitar, um, at, at a certain point in the song, it just keeps going for the rest of the yes. song. Yes. Yeah. Like once halfway, it's in, yeah. halfway through, it just goes all the way to the end and it's, yes. uh, it, it's another one of these weird offsetting things that, that tilts this otherwise very positive mid-tempo jam sound. Right. <laughs> this, this, yeah. this. Positive sounding song.
0: I think <laughs> that th- this is uh, them finding that like chocolate in the peanut butter moment, where they're like we've hit <laughs> we've hit the right recipe here of like <laughs> abrasive textures and stuff. But the yeah. the pop songwriting is up front now, yeah, um, and that is working so well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like every every sort of technique that they've had before, um, they use as accents this time. So, mm-hmm. right. um, Bradford uses that dual vocal, vocal tech, mm-hmm. um, yep. that, that weird, uh, where he's like singing twice, but he uses it as an accent when he says it never stops. He doesn't start yes. that way. Yes. He uses it halfway through the song as mm-hmm. an accent to like really punch those lyrics. Yeah. It's I would sweet. agree with that. It's really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like saving those for like their, you know, most effective moment to jump mm-hmm. in. hmm um,
1: that's that's for, that's what I really like that's what I really like when, uh, in in song crafting. it's just like we have this we have this special secret move that we can do right <laughs> and we just like pull it out when you least expect it
0: yes um, a couple other things I wanted to say on this one uh, while we're on the topic of you know small techniques that they've used before and then oh. reincorporate mm-hmm. um, the again picking behind either the bridge or up at the nut on the guitar I hear yep. you I hear whoever's yep. doing that. It's yeah. Great, love it. No, Keep I, think it, it it's up. Um, I think it's Bradford.
1: I think it might be Bradford. Bradford. Yeah, um, because um, I believe um, at least when they were doing the live performance, uh, oh live yes, performance I think you're you right. Me, um, I saw I, I, I saw Bradford right. just like on that on that part of the guitar. So I think yeah. I think it's Bradford that's doing that.
0: I think you're right. Um, the other thing I was going to say is coming off the back of um, the fluorescent gray EP, Bradford talked a lot about how he liked uh or was like you know becoming more interested in writing things that were shorter and you know more effective uh in a short period of time yeah uh he said in particular and he uses the word micro in this which i think is important he says i'm more interested in the micro structure i want things to be a lot shorter i don't want there Mm -hmm. to be as much long-windedness to it Mm-hmm. and I think this song is a great example because there's just a vocal lead-in, and then we're right in the verse. <laughs> there's not yeah. even an intro. Like, like, why bother writing an intro? Like, let's just get to the song. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's a great, uh, like, example to pull of how that ethos is coming into play on this album where we just go, ah, start with the
1: verse. Just go yeah, right and into it's the it's not verse. necessarily that the songs are shorter um, yeah, because right. some of the songs last the same length, but the ideas are um, quicker quicker in and established and then solidified like this song they have those lyrics that go for two phrases and then they have the mm-hmm. bridge and then they sort of write out the rest of the song and that that's that's with the deer hunter style that sort of matches the deer hunter style where, the, where they'll have an idea um, right. they'll build on it and then they have sort of like a breakdown section um yes. that goes that goes throughout the end of the out uh, throughout to the end of the song Um, but yeah, like you said, like this one really establishes uh, its idea quickly. Um, and it, it gets that solidified and then it builds on it really well. Yeah. I just, it's a nice song. Um, what I was going to
0: say as well, speaking of establishing ideas, Mm -hmm. um, this song is one of the linchpins to my idea of the stealth concept album. Ooh, I like it. I want to hear it. In, in the lyrics, um, he says, uh, winter in my heart. Uh, yep. and then later says all winter repeats that a few times. Mm-hmm. There are several different references to winter and especially, uh, later on frozen shit in your heart. Um, <laughs> that, I've, and you know, I've talked before. I love, you know, self-referential texts like that where you, yeah. you know, reference your own stuff. But mm-hmm. I think as well... I truly believe there is a narrative going on in this album. Um, you know, the previous two songs are someone, you know, deep within their microcastle, whatever yeah, that is isolating. to them. Yeah.
1: Isolating. And, and, and never... feeling good about it too.
0: Yes, yes. And like being content with that, even though, you know, in the back of their head somewhere they know that it's probably to their detriment. Mm-hmm. They're happy there. Yeah. And then to me, Never Stops is like this nagging idea of, Mm, but what else, what else is there? What else is out there Interesting. kind of thing? Interesting. And I think, I think winter in the narrator's heart in this case is them still kind of being uh, a bit bitter to things outside of their microcastle.
1: Interesting. Uh,
0: and, the, and that, you know, that both those nagging ideas never stop, but also the bitterness never stops. And so they're yeah.
1: constantly in conflict. So there's a little bit of a feedback loop going on. Yeah. Maybe like what happens at the yep. end of the song
0: perhaps I mean I perhaps. wish I could say I, I wish, <laughs> wish I could say I, I was smart enough to put that together but I like that as a supporter no I, Are you, yeah. I
1: think I, I think you're onto something yeah. <laughs> I, um, feed, yeah feed me the conspiracies yeah exactly but yes yeah, so
0: I think that's that's a key Um, part of like how this starts to develop this story. And then also I want to, you know, put a little asterisk on uh, winter and things in people's hearts because I think that's going to come back into play later. We've got
1: two asterisks now.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting. (laughs) I'm excited.
0: I got a lot of stuff to say. Um, Okay. uh, With that, do you want to hop over to uh, little kids? Trent and Dave.
1: Ah, uh, reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> Just light arson and murder. Uh, <laughs> I'm
0: glad you're still here. I thought I lost you in the reverb somewhere.
1: Yeah, uh, I was swimming through the haze a bit, but I've made yeah. my way back. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this one. So little a trip. kids has some stuff going on. <laughs> this one's a trip for sure. Um, yeah. Once again, right into it. Uh, yes. Lyrics go right into it. Um, and... Uh, Another positive-sounding song, but this one has a little bit more motion to the chord changes. Mm-hmm. It has that same, like, 4 to 1, the D to the A, um, but then it moves up and goes E to B, so it's like two 4 to 1 uh, chord changes back to back.
0: Got you. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's
1: it's pretty nice, and, like, uh, that phrase just puts a lot of movement to it, and they're all major major triads, I believe i didn't i didn't mess so, up yeah. once so i could uh, <laughs> uh so no, i, I think could you're be right. on uh, thin ice but that's okay <laughs> like it's once again like picking guitars i think like the, the the drums are like they don't really use any of like uh splashy cymbals or anything else it, it seems to just be either toms or bass
0: yeah, I'm not sure if during that really big build partway through the song that kind of takes us to the end, mm-hmm. if there is a cymbal wash going on or if that's just, like, high, high past noise going on. <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to tell wh- what is creating that.
1: There's, um, a, there's a lot, yeah. and I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll,
0: get to, we'll get to it. But, yeah, I think for the most part, you're right. It's mostly, uh, like, toms and yeah. kick drum and stuff.
1: And, like, the, there's a guitar doing, like, pentatonic picking lines. Mm -hmm. over the chorus uh bradford is very quiet really quiet in this one yeah um the lyrics are uh, almost like undercut and (laughs) it's it's strange because these lyrics are talking about a group of kids following a following a man around and then crucifying him
0: yeah, they, they burn him in his shed, yes. <laughs> Which is, yeah, pretty messed up. And I don't know if that, again, you know, like I said, Bradford likes to pull from, you know, pieces of, like, experimental literature and stuff. I don't know if this is from a short story or if this is, you know, some fiction that he's created on his own. Yeah. Uh, but either way, you're right. It's quite dark in tone. <laughs> it's really dark. But, like, yeah.
1: it, it's it's crazy in the sense that it's very positive And when um all the lyrics are done in the first half of the song mm-hmm. and right. um the last part of the song is when he says that they strike the, they strike a match so they initiate yes. this action and then it breaks into this B section
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is like triumphant yes and T- uh, yeah, and rising and mm-hmm. very a very like ethereal and spiritual Uh, like a movement towards like the heavens sort of thing
0: yeah i I agree with that i to me that's you know the fire that they're lighting in the lyrics just being left to just go completely out of control and just build into something yeah Uh, and it's a monument to whatever they're trying to accomplish by burning this person Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um so uh, yeah yeah, I,
1: i don't know exactly what the lyrics are describing but i do i would say um like a lot of a lot of it is very literal. Like this guy like turns on a radio, smokes yeah. a cigarette. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that th- at least the intention feels metaphorical. It doesn't I feel agree. it doesn't yep. feel like this is a literal story. It feels like there is there is something behind these lyrics that they're yes. trying to describe. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I have thoughts. Which mm. then we get into the B section, which is just a a climb it's a it's a Mm -hmm. it's that once again that plagial cadence that four Mm -hmm. four to one i think or wait no no this one's uh, just a d major uh to an e major um which are the 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 two major second uh no no it's it's a it's the two because they established the tonic they established the tonic in the chorus which is an f sharp so the D major yeah. and the E major are both trying to rise to the F sharp, but they never do it. Gotcha. Um, they just keep those two chords going throughout the uh, entire rest of the song. So it always mm-hmm. feels like you're climbing every, every new chord is another step. Uh, right. So you're always rising. And so I will describe uh, basically what I heard in like the sequence that I heard it. Uh, yes. So we start it. We start with those chord changes, um, and uh, the lyrics are going to get older still. To get older still, yes. and those repeat all the way throughout the end. The bass drum is now going a little bit. Uh, they're they're adding a little bit more notes, so it's not it's not fully double time, but there's more uh, there's more hits going into it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, then there's an introduced like heavy distorted scratching. Yes, <laughs> uh, a weird scratching guitar and sometimes it'll like come in like a like a jet plane it'll yeah dive yeah, yeah. down and yep. then like fly away sort of it's this weird yeah. d- guitar scratching sound yeah um the guitar and bass are now uh in solid quarter tones they're just jamming those chord notes uh a lot quicker a little bit later um the guitar bass and a xylophone all match yes i picked up on the xylophone Uh, a melody they introduced the xylophone in the first half of the song yeah but this is where like like it really merges with everything like they they make that they make that melody over um each of those chords that um and it and it keeps pushing it keeps pushing all the way now there's more scratches there's more like diving in and out Mm -hmm. um and then there's a really big guitar scratch that sort of, like, flies down and then explodes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then yeah. <laughs> everything just goes back in a little bit harder, a little bit louder, a little bit faster. Like, not, not faster as in tempo, just faster as in, like, intensity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Density they notes. hammer that uh, until they just fade into the reverb.
0: Hmm. And yeah, I think this is such a cool technique rather than having a fade out is they have like the reverb kind of fade in and overtake everything so mm-hmm. that the band can fade out and just the reverb is left. Yeah. Um. That's way cooler than doing a regular fade out.
1: Yeah. Uh, there is, needs to be
0: a term for that, like a reber, reverb fade or a, a verb fade or something.
1: Cause that's yeah. cool. And yeah. And, and they just, they just crescendo all the way through and then uh, melds into this ambience and it's yeah. sweet. It's really yeah, sweet.
0: I agree. It's really cool. Um, and I think it's among like the biggest they've sounded so far mm-hmm. because there's just so much reverb going on. It sounds so massive and grandiose. Um, but I like that. It's not that that comes out of nowhere because very early in the song, the first guitar that you hear that's just outlining the chords yeah. is like very far miked. You can see again in mm-hmm. the video when they're in the studio, you can see that's uh, a pretty big live room. So I imagine they just had a mic kind of at the far end. Yeah. Uh, nowhere close to the amplifier to get that like very roomy uh, guitar sound. But I like that that is always there in the song. Like that impression of space starts early and then they just <laughs> let it slowly, slowly bloom uh-huh. until it overtakes everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. And then um, as well, um, since we were talking about the lyrics potentially being more metaphorical than they are literal. Right. Um, you know, I've got some thoughts on it. Um, so can't wait. (laughs) So continuing my little narrative that I, that I've concocted here. Um, Mm -hmm. I think at this point, the, um, the narrator is kind of looking at it and sort of like retrospectively being like, well, when I was a kid, I used to have all these adventures you know right. i i wasn't so closed off in my micro castle i was out there doing things with other kids and we we did you know we went on interesting adventures we did cool stuff um but <laughs> i think at the same time they're you know really bitter about the whole thing and mm-hmm. so not only is is the adventure that they construct in their mind an adventure where they literally you know attack an old person or you know try to destroy the concept of aging uh, (laughs) to where they are now but they also repeat to get older still so he's like you know what yeah i guess maybe those kids were happy but they're gonna get old and they're gonna be sad and bitter like me kind of thing (laughs) i think is what that all means so
1: i wonder if there's like two personas that they're representing in this song that maybe Mm -hmm. that uh that man that they're burning is an effigy of himself Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of like a reclamation sort of thing because it is. Mm-hmm. It sounds very triumphant. Yeah, it, it does. You're right. It sounds very positive when when this thing happens, uh, when this when this uh, yeah when when they strike the match, and yes. then they start repeating to get older still to get older still. It sounds very triumphant, very positive. Okay.
0: Interesting. I like where you're going with that because. I have some thoughts, I think, on how the narrative starts to flip, how we start to have our actual, like, uh, like first action in the hero's journey mm, kind of thing yes. uh, in the next song. So maybe I need to adjust my, uh, my range a little bit and say maybe it starts here with the match, and that's our big, like, is inciting this, Is this
1: crossing the threshold?
0: Yes, you know so much more about the hero's journey than me. You can actually (laughs) put the labels on it. You can help me out with that. Um, All right. But I think that's it. So let's pop over to Microcastle then. Hell yeah. Trent and Dave, listen to the song. All right. So Microcastle, you want to talk about dynamics.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So there's a, I guess it's two and a half minutes of an entire Roboto section yeah um so it's just bradford at whatever tempo like he's yes. he's setting the pace
0: it reminds me of uh, spring hall convert that way
1: mm-hmm. where
0: he's set, he's exactly setting when each line starts and everyone else is just kind of naturally following that
1: jazzers love a good rubato section so um, <laughs> this is uh rubatos are basically just that uh the the performer sets the pace instead of either uh the band leader or the conductor um gotcha. and um they they basically pull and stretch and you can see that a lot in Bradford's guitar playing
0: mm-hmm. um
1: it's like they are just milking these chord tones massive tremolo massive tremolo oh, you on bet. the vocals you bet and yeah it's it's just a really nice chord change you get that like for for the beginning of the song it's a lot of just the two minor to the five major mm-hmm. yeah. um so it's really setting up that desire to resolve to the one uh, right the two five one is a really strong uh musical cadence mm-hmm. um and it it teases rev- resolution for several bars right <laughs> um yeah, and then and then it finally gets there, um, mm-hmm. and the main section is is a one three four five. Um, gotcha. So yeah, so like a a one major a three minor, uh, four major five major, and then it wants to resolve back to the one. Yeah. Um, there's a really interesting um, in this in this section when he's going sort of like four to the four and then back to the five and then he'll like um strum a major triad down in semitones.
0: Yes, yeah, it's a to little the, descent into it. Back to the four.
1: Um yep. and it's it's really tasteful. It's really tasteful. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds really good. Um, yeah. I just like the way that um once again it's like this uh slow ballad late 50s. Oh rock yeah. rock ballad sort of yes. sort of uh Almost, almost like a slow prom night sort of thing, but yes, but washed in that deer hunter filter, just exactly, just drenched in that that like <laughs> alternate indie grunge.
0: Um, and I really like the start of this song as a uh, bridge over from um little kids from the previous song mm-hmm. because i think obviously it ended in such a massive big way yeah uh little kids where there's so much going on and the the reverb sound is so huge and then we come down to something smaller there's still a ton of reverb and stuff going on because i think if you had none it would feel a bit too harsh you well, would feel like you you moved somewhere too fast but they're very sparse in the
1: instrumentation yes 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 that's start. it that's where yeah, the, yeah. that's where the dynamics are right uh, that's can, what i was gonna say you can you can yes uh I love that so you find a
0: way to to kind of make that uh bridge between the two of them in terms of the sonics but mm-hmm. then in terms of what you're playing um you find a way to strip it back and now we're at uh, this is the least amount of instrumentation that's been going on so far in the album very so soft. you have a very big high point and a very big low point right beside each other mm-hmm. which makes them both feel so much feel bigger, bigger they smaller, feel bigger in, like. comp-
1: in context yeah, yeah. yes uh, it's so, very that's some soft. really smart production planning. Yeah, it's very introspective. I, mm-hmm. I like I like how this section sounds a lot, and he gets to just like express himself for two and a half minutes.
0: Yeah, it's
1: really um, good. Uh, like they set up the entire chord change of this of the song. Like they set up mm-hmm. the full section. Like I said, it's it's that um, that tension for for a section that two minor to five major tension, and then there's a major mm-hmm. section, or sorry, there's a main section. Um, that one, three, four, five that I was talking about, and then it goes back. Yeah. Then the band kicks in, and they yeah, and they I'm- carry out the song.
0: Right. And now it's an indie rock song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple things I wanted to point out because I have, you know, I always like to give shout outs to uh, production stuff that I find. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really cool, um, just like soft, like coos from uh, Bradford in the background. Okay. You can hear yep. uh, during the quiet section. Yep. Those are really tasteful. Those are really nice. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give those a little shout out. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that... Um, The lyrics in this are kind of sparse, but I think I have figured out, and again, in terms of, you know, my interpretation, my conspiracy theory of what I think this album is. I want to hear it. uh, I want to hear it. I think I've got it. So the narrator is struggling um, about uh, whether or not to go to sleep. They start in the very beginning saying, try not to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Um, because in my opinion, they're in this micro castle and going to bed means you're just going to start the next day exactly where you began this one. And they're kind of stuck in that loop. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, basically keeping themselves awake, uh, to the point of, you know, like tiring themselves out. They sound so, you know is laconic the right word just tired and drawn out I'm not at the sure of this? I'm not
1: sure but I don't like... know if
0: that's the word, right word but that but basically they sound lethargic is, yes. is one word I do know the yes. meaning of um and uh so that to me suggests first of all how they like the uh it's played early in the song mm-hmm. um and towards the end of the song they come to the realization that okay eventually I'm gonna have to go go to sleep I can't I can't fight it forever yeah But when I do, what if instead of the repetition of what I've been doing, I go to sleep and I wake up tomorrow and it's a beginning. It's something different. Yes. I make the conscious
1: decision now that when I wake up, things will be different. Once again, like a really triumphant transition. Yeah. Except like... that's where the... Yeah, the lyrics, the lyrics are very ominous. They're very like... And and this this part is really introspective because it is just Mm -hmm. Bradford uh, for the most part. Just on a guitar and just uh, just on vocals. So yeah, it it does once again have this really triumphant transition when the band comes in, um, and like you can hear the song in, in its entirety in like uh, an up tempo four four. Hearing those chord changes in one context and then hearing them transformed into this very up tempo um, yeah context has that sort of transition has that sort of awakening.
0: So yeah, to me it's like that's the point where the decision is made for the narrator and now they're 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 determined to go go out and do it. Um and I so like then it. you hear the whole band come in I and like it. you know, it's the same thoughts in a different context. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also cool because they've hinted at that before with Cover Me Slowly and Agoraphobia. They yeah. do the same thing where they use the same chords yep. in two different ways. Um so that's really cool as well. But to me, like this marks like the transition point um between um being stuck in the microcastle and uh maybe uh maybe branching out from the microcastle a
1: little interesting bit. interesting uh, i can't i fun. can't wait to hear about it yes we'll have to save that for next time next time we'll be coming <laughs> back with our part two of castle. until then have a wonderful day
0: bye